It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. The Trial of Sam Bankman-Fried. What are you doing with my money? I'm investing it for X and you're not telling me you're going to use it for Y. And that's the guts of this case. And basically, it's the guts of every federal fraud case. Welcome back to the trial of Sam Bankman-Fried. I'm your host, Kelly O'Grady from Fox Business. As always, we will be breaking down all the juicy details from the trial that some are calling one of the largest financial frauds in history. That is a pretty high bar. So just just to start, want to get you up to speed. Uh, the trial is now underway. We've selected our jury. We've heard opening statements from both the prosecution and the defense, and witness testimony has commenced. Now, the jury that will decide Sam Bankman-Fried's fate is predominantly female, actually. So it's eight women, four men, with six named as alternates. They'll listen to testimony expected to include everyone from investors and victims of SBF over the next five to six weeks with the prosecution's star witnesses, including SBF's inner circle. And that's right. We are expecting to hear from SBF's ex-girlfriend, Caroline Ellison, that it's going to be some explosive testimony. Now, today, in opening statements, it was pretty dramatic, as these things always are. The prosecution painted the former crypto king pretty much as a fraud whose wealth, power, and influence was, quote, built on lies. That was a direct quote, very, very uh, flamboyant language, if you will. And they also promised to bring everything from financial documents and secret communications to prove out their case. The defense, though, they fired back, saying that context is going to prove otherwise. Instead, they're blaming a lot of the FTX downfall on funny enough, SBF's ex-girlfriend and Alameda Research CEO, as well as the lack of controls they say are currently in the U.S. cryptocurrency industry. They said it was, quote, like flying a plane while it's being built. So who better to break it all down than someone who knows a thing or two about fraud cases? I'm happy to welcome Ira Lee Sorkin, partner at Minson Gold, formerly at the U.S. Attorney's Office and SEC, and of course, former counsel for Bernie Madoff. I also want to highlight that his firm has done work for Fox in the past. Ira, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. My pleasure. Okay, so right off the bat, I want to get your impressions about the case, and then we can kind of dive into specifically what's happened over the past few days. But SBF, Crypto King, Boy Wonder, now he's behind bars. What were your thoughts when you first saw the saga unfold? Well, the media, uh, the press, television, radio, every media entity that is following this wants to get wrapped up in the crypto. And I've been asked questions, well, no one really understands crypto, which is true. Uh, Lawyers, not sure of it. Only those people who are purportedly involved in crypto claim they understand it. But this case is not about crypto. Uh, I was asked the question, well, what about the jurors? Are they going to understand crypto and bitcoins and the like? And the short answer is they really don't have to because this case is, and I want to say now at the outset, I've read the indictment. Uh, I have been a long standing friend and at times a mentor of Mark Cohen, who is a terrific lawyer and is representing 
uh, freed. Um, but beyond that, I'm a uh, I'm a visitor to the case, uh, and I only know uh, what I've read in the papers and seen in the uh, TV and print media. Having said that, this case is, as the government is quick to point out, and I'm sure discussed it in their opening statement, which I did not hear, this case is about fraud. This case is about misrepresentations, lies, and these are allegations, by the way. Don't forget, Mr. Bankman-Fried has been presumed innocent, uh, doesn't have to put on any evidence. The government has to prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt. But having said that, this case is not about getting the jury to understand about crypto. It is a case, if you believe the government, about fraud, misrepresentation, lies, in effect, taking someone else's money without disclosing to those investors how the money is being used and will be used. That's what the case is about. The means to do it was through crypto, but that doesn't take away from the government's position that it is about misrepresentations, failure to disclose information, omissions of material fact, and that constituted the fraud. So I love that you mentioned that because it's one of the things that's been going through my mind listening to the opening statements today that you've got the prosecution setting this up as essentially garden variety fraud, right? You, you can't take customer money and then go and spend it on mansions and political donations and whatever else without a customer's consent. But the defense is really diving in to that crypto industry piece. And so I want to ask you, when you do that and when you you set up all of these these pieces about the crypto industry and you've got these two different funds and it almost kind of feels like they might be looking to make it complicated for the juror is that something that you've seen work in the past where it's kind of a, a look here look here and try and and distract from something that the prosecution is putting forth as you know hey th this was just garden variety fraud yeah i mean every uh, it has been historic uh, at least in the southern district of new york where i spent a little over five years that whenever you get a case involving be it securities fraud crypto fraud insider trading uh, money laundering uh, whenever you get those types of cases the non uh, as we call the white collar but uh, that that means nothing because uh, when i was in the u.s attorney's office we prosecuted mafia uh, in securities fraud cases so you can't really take that apart and say well it's a white collar case uh, as opposed to a blue collar case the fact of the matter is that whatever venture that Mr. Bankman-Fried was involved with and those who were with him and working with him who've been, who have pleaded guilty and will be witnesses against him because they have cooperation agreements with the government, whatever it was, you can't get around from the government's perspective, doesn't matter at all um, what the instrument was that was used to commit the fraud. Um, it's fraud to go buy a from a car dealer, to make it very simple, a car dealer. You're buying a certified car, uh, and the car dealer makes all sorts of representations to you, but doesn't tell you that the odometer has been set back, that it's not really a Cadillac motor, it's a Chevrolet motor, but doesn't disclose important 
information that would be material to a buyer, whether it's crypto or whether it's selling cars or any entity where an investor puts up money believing something and the party who has taken that money from the investor fails to disclose important material information as to what's going to be done with the investor's money. That's what the government's case is about. The defense, obviously, has to prove that he acted without criminal intent, that it's the burden on the prosecution to show that he acted knowingly and willfully and intentionally and knew what he was doing was, and you can infer this from his conduct, he knew that it was wrong. That's the government's position. Um, he doesn't have to know he's committing a federal crime, but certainly the government will try to prove that he knew what he was doing was wrong and he knew he did not disclose and should have disclosed to the investors what he was doing with their money, whether it was a political contribution or taking it and putting it in a uh, home in the uh, Caribbean uh, or spending it on his personal effects or on individuals who he gave money to. That's what the government's position is, whether it's crypto or buying a car or insider trading or Ponzi scheme. Investors are entitled to know, says the government, what are you doing with my money? I'm investing it for X and you're not telling me you're going to use it for Y. And that's the guts of this case. And basically, it's the guts of every federal fraud case. And that's where the government's going to go. I believe the defense will deal with what I just said, that he made mistakes. He was a novice. Uh, he should have had lawyers who would look at transactions and say yay or nay. Uh, and that will be his defense, that he made mistakes, he was wrong, but he didn't have the criminal intent to commit a fraud. I'm glad you brought up the legal piece because I wanted to follow up on that. So in court documents and motions, the defense has indicated that they want to use an advice of counsel defense. So as you said, blaming uh, the the legal advice. And so kind of yeah. painting yeah. that picture, which they did very much in, in the opening statements, that Sam was acting in good faith. He got over his skis. He was trusting the people around him. Now, the judge did rule against them being able to say in opening statements, you know, we are going to blame the lawyers, but they're allowed to bring that into into the actual trial. In your experience, how does that advice of counsel uh, defense play out? And what are the risks? Because I would imagine once you kind of bring that to the table, that attorney-client privilege that you would have right. had with that person, is that broken? Is that now all fair game for the prosecution the, the to go after is, and across? Yes. yes. The short answer is yes. If you say you received advice of counsel and you were in an attorney-client relationship, once you open that door, the privilege is waived. And if he intends to call lawyers or blame lawyers or do whatever he intends to, that opens the door for the lawyer to say, if true, and I don't know whether it is or it isn't, no, he never asked me the question, or no, I told him he shouldn't do it, or no, it's not something that will pass muster, that will be approved. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know the evidence that's mm. going to come in. I certainly uh, don't know the defense uh, and what the defense intends to show. But once you say, I relied on counsel, my counsel told me. Um, for, for the layman, of course, we're seeing a lot of that uh, in, uh, and forgive me for raising it, the Trump world. That defense 
has been tried and rejected because once right. the client seeks advice and the lawyer gives the advice and then the client comes back and said, this was the advice I got, that opens the door. It's a waiver of the attorney-client privilege and you gotta be very, very careful if you're a defendant, if you wanna open that door because most doors, when the attorney-client privilege is waived, are not helpful to the party that waives the privilege. Yeah, that's an interesting analysis because that's that's the part that I've been thinking about that, sure, you know, it, it could be a, a decent Hail Mary, but you are also opening a lot. You're opening Pandora's box, essentially, yes. for for so you much are. to come out in, in front of a jury. Yeah. The risk you run if you invoke the attorney-client advice is that more often than not, an attorney will take the stand and he's asked questions were you asked if you could do such and such yes what did you say i said you could I, this is hypothetical i have no idea whether it's going to come up in the case yes you could sure you rely upon what the attorney told you however where it all falls apart is that if the government asks the attorney or in any attorney client privilege ask the attorney did he tell you when you sought the advice that he was using investors' money to make political contributions. What would be your answer on that? No, if I had known that, I never would have said, hypothetically, that you can do that. But I, did, I wasn't told the entire conversation that raised the privilege issue. And that's the risk that you run because more often than not, when that privilege is invoked, the attorney is more likely than not gonna say, but if I had known this, I never would have given that advice. Yeah, we're, I, it's definitely going to be something that we'll watch because that could be a really interesting uh, way to defend yourself, but also bring open a lot for the prosecution to go after. Another thing that I, I saw in the opening statements today that the defense seems to want to focus on, as well as the prosecution, is Sam's ex-girlfriend, Caroline Ellison, she was also the CEO of Alameda Research. That is kind of shaping up to be the prosecution's star witness. She's planning on, uh, they said, bringing her diary and she has documents and she is going to be able to prove, they said today, that Sam Bankman-Fried was engaging in fraudulent activity. The defense is also hanging things on her you know kind of kind of the the star piece of of their defense as well that she didn't make certain um uh, risk decisions uh, essentially hedge certain positions that alameda had in the crypto space and i'm curious what your perspective is on this he said she said strategy on both sides you know how has yeah. that worked in the past, you know, when, when you've been in court or, you know, on either side of the, of the coin. The, the, the problem with that is that the government doesn't like to do he said, she said. OK, uh, because it's one witness's word against the other party, a defendant. For example. Right. But in order to make the witness more credible, the government will try and get supporting evidence to to support the testimony of their cooperating witness just her saying he she said this he said this 
That is a weak government case. In every case, what the government is going to try to do is get evidence that will support what she said. Every case, the stronger you get corroborating evidence to support what your cooperator is testifying to, that makes your case stronger. No government prosecutor is going to want to go into court with a he said, she said. That's not enough. Because the easy answer to that is tell the jury she's lying. He's telling the truth. There's no evidence to support what she has said. And therefore, the jury should acquit. But in the cases where there are cooperators or other evidence, okay? For example, you take the more prominent, serious, so-called blue-collar cases, murder, uh, uh, rape. The government is always going to try to get corroboration. What's the corroboration? He attempted to rape me, okay? What other evidence is there? Torn clothes, okay? DNA, okay? Right. Um, um, bruises on the woman. I'm picking the rape case because that that's a usual he said, she said. But the government, right. as I said, and I forgive me for being redundant, is going to get as much evidence as they can to support the testimony of their cooperating witnesses. Precise, personal, powerful is America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the things that the prosecution uh, said that they are going to bring forth to prove that is code or examples of how uh, code was used, computer code, in order to build a backdoor into FTX so that Alameda could take customer funds. Now, you say that out loud, it's like, okay, sure, that, that seems simple enough. But in presenting that evidence, is is there a risk, do you think, of it being complicated, that the evidence that proves the fraud could be kind of complicated and confusing for a jury to understand? I think not. The government will not emphasize that money went from FTX into Alameda and a code was used and it was complicated and the transaction uh, was complicated and crypto is very detailed, blah, 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 and so forth. But you don't stop there. Will the government not? Well, government will not stop there. What the government will come back and say, all of that is true. But were the investors told that their investment would be used to pay for the expenditures of Alameda? Were the investors told that whatever means, whether it was code, whether it was cash in a paper bag, whether it was offshore funds, doesn't matter. The real issue here is the omissions and the failure to disclose right. to the investors, oh, by the way, you're making an investment. Great. We're going to invest in crypto. Great. Doesn't stop there from the government's perspective. What goes on beyond that is, okay, Mr. Investor or Mrs. Investor, were you told that your investment would be taken out of FTX and used to buy property in the Bahamas or the Caribbean? Were you told 
that political contributions would be used with your money? Did you give FTX your money so FTX could use that money for political contributions? No. That's where it comes in. How it was done, the mechanics of getting it done is really secondary. It's the failure to disclose mm. to the investors what was being done with their investment. And to your point, the prosecution has stated they plan to call customers and investors. And I think, yeah. you know, they, they will go down that line of questioning. Yeah. You know, one, two last questions for you, Ira. Um, one of the, the things that the defense has said that they're going to do is is show that Sam was acting in good faith, uh, that he they said he's, quote, a math nerd. The evidence will show that he's a math nerd today. Uh, that he was just had a company that he was growing too fast and he really wanted to do everything he could to make everything right. Does that ever work? Does that plant doubt in the yeah. jury's mind uh, it may, even when it's I up think, against potential evidence? Yeah, go ahead. It, it may. It, it may. You may get a juror or jurors who will say the guy was a math genius, went to MIT, um, tried to do the right thing, was over his head, did certain things that he thought was in the best interests of the investors. Okay, this is what the defense may argue. Uh, the government, of course, right. will come back and forgive me for repeating, will say, yeah, was Tom Brady told that his money was going to be used <laughs> to, for, for Joe was Biden's Giselle told. Campaign. Is that what broke them up, Ira? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Brady is still a, allegedly a supporter of Trump, okay? If Brady had been told, I'm just using this as an example, but I'm, I've read that sure. Brady was a big investor and lost a lot of money. If Brady was told, give me your money, and I'm going to use the money uh, to invest, uh, to make political contributions on behalf of Joseph Biden. Well, do you think Brady would say, not with my money, you're not? Okay. <laughs> it's, the om it's the omissions. It's the failure to disclose. However careless, negligent, mistaken that he was in doing what he allegedly did, the government will argue was maybe one time, two times, three times, but over a period of time where money kept being siphoned off from FTX to go to Almeida, hmm, that's what the argument's gonna to be to the jury. And, and final question for you, a lot of sure. folks right when this broke were comparing this to the Bernie Madoff fraud case, uh, which of course you, you, you were on his defense. And folks have said, oh, this is this could be worse than Madoff. Your reaction? Well, listen, uh, you know, each fraud has its own pe peculiar characteristics. Um, I also represented a long time ago Jordan Belfort of Stratton Oakmont, the Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, yeah. His fraud, his fraud were outright lies to investors when his boiler room employees we're telling investors, you're going to double your money. You're going to triple your money without disclosing that the stock they were buying was coming from Stratton Oakmont. They own this stock and basically they were selling the stock to innocent investors with wild representations. Madoff, Madoff was a lot more simpler. Madoff um, dealt with people who begged him to take their money. 
he had people he kept turning away because the aura around his misconduct was he was taking investors money in but not disclosing that the investors money was going to be used to pay off other investors that's the essence of the ponzi scheme right this case oh, no, it's, it's an important this, distinction if this case is a lot different from that but it all comes down to the failure to make appropriate disclosure of a material nature doesn't matter whether it's crypto whether it's ponzi whether it's boiler room activity by jordan belfort and the stratton people doesn't matter it's the it is the government's position that in every fraud case the first thing you're told when you go into the u.s attorney's office if you've got a complicated factual case uh and i've had those when i was prosecuted we had very complicated cases but you learn when you open up in front of a jury there may be information disclosed in the evidence that is difficult to understand we're going to try to get it explained to you through witnesses and documents however this case is about fraud and the failure to disclose material information to people who made investments on your behalf that's every case that's where a prosecutor opens up okay you don't have to be a crypto person to understand that you don't have to be anything more than a guy or a woman who wants to buy a car but is not told about the essential elements of the car they're buying shame on the car dealer he didn't disclose that he's turned the odometer back three times he hasn't disclosed that there are problems in the car he's represented this car is in 100 good shape buy the car boom that's the way the frauds occur there's always a material misstatement or an omission of a material fact and that's the government's going to position going to be in this the question the government has to deal with in to prove beyond a reasonable doubt is whether this wasn't just a mistake or negligence or carelessness or a stupid guy who was in over his head that's the government where that's government's going to have to come and fight this and the defense is of course apparently from what you've told me and what i will read about in the newspaper going to take the position that others made mistakes and he didn't know about it and he went along with it i don't know what their defense is going to be but that's going to be the essence of the prosecution and the defense cases that's a good takeaway that's going to be something that comes back i think for me and for our listeners as we're following this trial you know that failure to disclose as i think that'll be something that's key for the prosecution that will keep coming up ira well, thank you many... so much for your time today you're very welcome anytime Okay, folks, so that does it for us today. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and tune into future episodes. The trial is underway. The juicy details are going to be coming fast and furious. We are going to be dropping every Monday and Wednesday and bringing you the latest developments. Thanks for listening. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.